Are we live? Okay. It's Serial Comma Day, and we're reporting live from the festivities. In one carnival game, I took the letter P out of an apple and got splashed with ale. The next guy also took the letter P out of an apple and got a bottle of ale. We'll talk about wordplay and the wiggle room of interpretation tonight on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. Uh, this time we're going through Counterfeit Monkey. Uh, this is the first cast, and I figure this time we'll take a micro approach and look at individual puzzles. Next time we might take a look at networks of puzzles and how they work together. But uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, uh, I was wondering, Mario fan, how have you been doing? I've been doing very well. Glad I'm still hear. alive and breathing, and you know, I I just I'm I'm excited about this. You're excited to be alive. I do. I am. Yeah. All right. Uh, yourself, how have you been doing? Uh, all right. Uh, I, my, you can hear my voice is cracking a lot because my voice is not yet come back from having bronchitis. So you know that though. Always a good time. Always a good time to do a podcast. <laughs> Fox, how have you been doing? Feeling a little queasy, but I'm pretty good. Uh, is it a is it a bre- breakfast? Yeah. So, yourself, I was wondering, what games have you been playing lately? Uh, I've been on a brawler kick this week. I really like Streets of Rage 2, uh, Double Dragon. Uh, Golem and I played through Burning Plate, an SNK brawler yesterday. And I played Soldier Blade for the first time yesterday. Oh, man. Yeah, Uh, it was pretty good. Was there anything to take away from Burning Fight? Oh, well, tough question there. <laughs> well, Burning Fight? No, I don't think so. Not a lot. It was in pretty much your run-of-the-mill 1991 arcade brawler with some awkward controls that uh didn't really know what to do with boss battles and that I probably would not recommend to anyone. <laughs> it taught me the importance of enemy stuff <laughs> by not having any. Yeah. It taught me the importance of making a button do the same thing every time you press it. (laughs) (laughs) Not a fan of uh, slipping and brawl? Exactly. It was the precursor, really, to slipping and brawl. (laughs) The full story being that, like, we couldn't figure out how to get the kick button to do different things. It would just happen on its own. It was a random number generator. So, uh, Fox, what have you been playing lately? I've been playing a lot of a city builder called Zeus, Master of Olympus. So when did Zeus come out? I want to say just the dawn of 2000-ish. So so how is it so far? It's really addictive. Uh, it's It took a bit to understand. It, it's very different from uh, the only other city builder game I've played, SimCity, in that it's about managing not just city structure, but the pathfinding of your... like. Utility delivers. You have to manage getting food to, pe- to people's houses as well as all the other resources by controlling the way those deliverers are moving because they don't seek out houses. They go along a predefined path, sort of. Hey, yeah. it's like ActRaiser. Man, I really don't remember ActRaiser that well, do I? Uh, ActRaiser, you have to, like, make... When you're developing the city, you have to develop it in, like, a line, basically. Like, that's really the only challenge to it. Sounds about right. And it is a game about a god, so it makes sense with the Zeus thing. <laughs> it's, 
competing theologies, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, sounds good. Uh, Wario fan, what have you been playing lately? Oh, I've been, uh, I've been playing, uh, New Super Luigi U. Alright, good man. What do you think of it so far? It's, uh, it's very green. <laughs> uh, it's not easy. No, no, it's not. But, uh, you know what? Uh, I, I find myself, uh, getting, uh, all three star coins in a course at the same, in the same run a lot more often than I did in the regular game, which I kind of find is surprising considering how the game is a little more challenging than the regular game was. So I don't know, I kind of feel smart whenever that happens. Like, oh, I just beat this really hard level and got all the secrets in it. That's a, that's something I noticed as well. I feel like the, because there's a larger, or there's a smaller time limit, uh, the coins are more about challenging jumps rather than exploring and like finding a pixel or something like that. Yeah, I guess you're right there. I mean, that's, that's probably what, what's, uh, the, the real story behind it is that, uh, they just made the star coins themselves just a little easier to get, considering everything else that's going on. So how far are you in it, actually? The clouds. Okay, so pretty far. Yeah. All right. I I haven't once to use Nabbit, so... Didn't anyone else have anything else to share? What'd you do? Oh, what did I do? Um, I've been playing a lot of Soldier Blade recently. All right. Uh, <laughs> Is that why Which, the cops are coming for you? I couldn't tell if that was coming through. <laughs> coming through double. Somebody hasn't played Star Soldier. <laughs> now, the, the NES game is... Uh, I still find it kind of boring. But Soldier Blade, it's really neat how meaty everything is. Like, uh, I guess one of the most memorable moments of the game is when you get to the end boss of the first stage and you kill him. And then the stage continues because he was just the mid-boss. I wasn't that impressed by that, to be honest. Oh. I, I, I like that he said, I'll be back later. That was cool. Yeah, you get a, like, a voice clip there. Yeah. I, I knew you'd love the game, though, as soon as, uh, I shot off a part of one of the bosses. I was like, wow, that's why Golem loves this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was actually thinking, like, that, uh, word counter has been on my mind a lot recently, and uh, it hit me that a boss that has multiple parts you can take off has, like, a network of counters, if that makes sense. Where, like, you can go for the circle gun or the laser gun, and one counters the other. If that makes any sense. Like, they balance each other out. Um, it makes enemy interaction a lot more interesting. So that was that. Uh, I... So I, so far I think it's the best of the Star Soldier series. Still haven't played 64. It makes a strong first impression. It's certainly got lots of big enemies and stuff like that. I didn't get past the third level. I was playing it for the first time last night. Okay. I, um, actually I was wondering what you think of the weapon selection. I'm glad they got rid of stupid yellow. Because. Lane? Yeah, that's the short-range weapon, because there are plenty of weapons I've been waiting for Gradius to get rid of that they never have. But I don't really understand the difference between, like, green and blue. Either way, I kind of like that uh, when you use a... When you pick up a weapon, it affects your bomb, and when you use a bomb, it affects your weapon. I think that's a neat touch. Yeah, it's, uh... 
I find myself like like in one particular level, I want the red shot, but I don't have any opportunities to power it up, so I have to sort of power up the blue shot and then revert back to the red. So there's some neat planning you can do with uh, how you expend bombs. I guess that was it for me. If you've never played Counterfeit Monkey, I should fill you in on something. It's a text adventure, and the main puzzle-solving mechanic of the game is a letter remover. You can pick one letter and remove it from one word. So, if you take an apple, you can remove the letter P from it to get an ale. Or, if you have an army, you can remove the letter Y to get an arm. In this upcoming segment, we discuss individual puzzles and how we came to solve them. So this time I wanted to discuss an individual puzzle in Counterfeit Monkey and uh, sort of examine all of its different aspects. I was wondering, Fox, were there any puzzles that struck you as particularly memorable? Yeah, I really like uh, how when you get into the hostel the first time, you need, you need to scare away the backpacker. I think it's a good introductory puzzle, and the number of ways to solve it is what draws me to it. Yeah, there's a there's a disturbing amount of body parts in that arc. <laughs> Um, so, I, I, actually, I guess I just spoiled this, but what was the solution? The solution I first took was taking the army from the diorama and turning it to arm. Yes, high five. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I didn't notice you could do that. So, uh, yourself, what did you use? Um, I used the toe from the tomes in the uh, church gift shop. I tried to take the diorama, and it said it was stuck in place. <laughs> yeah, it's like a <laughs> down. <laughs> and Wario fan? I just did the same thing as yourself. Okay. It's Golem, or...? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's who's on first. You can also turn a pear into an ear. I think that works as well. Yeah. Oh. I did that. I did that on a second time through just for fun. <laughs> so, Fox, would you say the logic for that puzzle made sense? Yeah, they, they set it up with, uh, when you talk to the girl, she mentions about, uh, she talks about something, some kind of serial killer hanging around. Or she just, she meant, she brings it up in conversation, so there's a good setup to how to scare her away. Yeah, I think that's a, a good example of the game's humor, actually, how she, like, she kind of gets off on hearing this creepy story. It it made me chuckle. I don't know. <laughs> it kind of gets you into the mood of looking at things to transform to other stuff. So if you've got, it's a little grotesque, but if you've got the idea of serial killer, you're just looking to make disturbing things out of objects. It's, it, I just really like the puzzle. So in that sense, it's a good introduction because, uh, like, it's what you naturally want to do with the letter remover is do kind of weirdo, gross things. Yeah. So it's a nice way to play off of your natural inclinations. And what things did you try before finding this solution? Just tried talking to her, just getting all the conversation I could out of her. Um, I didn't really try anything else besides body parts. Nothing really came to mind. I'd telling her to leave, I guess. <laughs> that was pretty much how I handled it. I talked to her until she wouldn't say anything else. And uh, I looked around the room, couldn't find anything in there. And I think I was stumped for a while because that was the first time I had encountered a puzzle where the solution wasn't in the room. Well, you know, there's always the clock. Well, Steve <laughs> so already mentioned uh, using L remover. Oh. <laughs> That's how you get a rooster. Oh. When I was looking for other solutions, I got, I was talking to Golem about this last night, I got a little 
mixed up or, or screwed up because I felt like the game misled me. Earlier, when I was in the church gift shop, tried to turn the tones into toms just to see what would happen. Uh, actually expecting it to be like drums or something. And the game told me you're not allowed to make anything biological or like living. So at that point, I crossed living things off of my things that you can make list. So when I met the girl, I wasn't even thinking about like making, trying to make a body part. I was thinking along the serial killer lines, but I was trying to think of non-biological things to scare her away with. And I felt like the game was limiting me in that sense because they really wanted you to go the biological route. They gave you lots of body parts to work with, but unless you're thinking about the body part thing, there was nothing to turn into, like, a saw, or she mentioned that the serial killer was into grooming. So this is obviously obscure, but I was stumped. So I was looking for something to turn into, like, a comb or a shaver or something. But I feel like open-ended puzzles tend to get me into that state where I start to look for really out-of-the-box solutions once I've ruled out something that I shouldn't have ruled out. You know, I had the same problem with a, with a later puzzle where I crossed something off a list of things I thought I could make, and it turns out you could make it. I think maybe you should just assume this game is exactly like the English language and you can just ignore all of its rules. <laughs> yeah, I no, I agree. I Because uh, I think that that's the only way to solve the puzzles. I guess uh, when I encountered that, I was still having fun breaking the rules of the game. So I wasn't expecting uh, ARM to work. I just wanted to see, you know, the letter remover yell at me. And then it accidentally was the solution. Yeah. And that's part of the fun. Just finding ways to get the game to yell at you. I guess I was being a jaded text adventure player and looking for things that the game was telling me I wasn't allowed to do versus um, perceiving things the game was saying in a narrative voice. Uh, I was perceiving things the game was saying in, like, a rulemaking voice. So when it told me you can't do this, I was scratching things off my list versus reading it as something that, like, you know, a character was saying or a joke that was being told to me. Yeah, that is, like, a, a gray area. It's a fine line, but I think that that's, like, Something that's part of engaging in the text-based adventure is realizing that uh, you are engaging in with an unreliable narrator, I guess. You get frustrated after playing, like, Zork for a while, though, just looking for all the little things that are, like, rules. One thing that really helps Counterfeit Monkey, I think, is that <laughs> areas open up slowly. Um, and so th there is some backtracking involved but you already know the previous areas so well enough that any new things you come across are introduced very slowly. It's easier to pick up the rules that way. So, Wario fan, what was a, what was a particularly memorable puzzle for you? Well, I like that uh, the word balancer at the beginning of the game. That's the carnival game? Yes, with the apple and the pear. Yeah. At first, I tried to change the pear to a par, but... You can't physically embody a par, so. <laughs> so then I tried turning it into a P, and that worked. Yeah, that was the same thing I did. And then it, it didn't uh, occur to me that I could do something with the apple later. So, you know, after I'd won the gel, I thought, oh, 
wait, I wonder if I can do something with the apple. And then I could. I turned the apple into an ale. They didn't get many points or anything, but I thought, hey, I found a thing. Yeah, that is kind of neat. Like, because it's like an act of creation, it's still neat to mess with stuff that you don't necessarily need to make, like making ale. Yeah. There's just a sense of pride that you have that you made. <laughs> and then I guess, I, I don't know, like, uh, I guess I didn't consider if that was an alternate solution to this puzzle either, because uh, that's just, I don't know, nice, I guess. There's more than one way this could work. I don't know, yeah. I didn't do the ale thing till later either. Well, that's because we're not, you know, alcoholics, so. <laughs> <laughs> I did the ale thing right away, by the way. <laughs> I think a lot of I I I, I, I tend to just look see if, if, if the descriptions ever mention an item and try to take them if I can. It's it's just, it's part of just playing text, uh, adventure games in general and just trying to grab everything that's not nailed down. And then there are some things that are nailed down later that you still need to mess with. Yeah. So Wario fan, did the logic for the solution make sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, turn a pear to a pea. That's a uh... That peas are lighter than apples. Exactly, yeah. That's logic. <laughs> and I'm not sure, you know, whether uh, uh, the apple just magically turned into uh, uh, a full bottle of ale or if it just sort of exploded into liquid, but, you know, whatever. Well, it's in your inventory. Oh, it is. So... Maybe I just have really wet pockets. <laughs> Grab ale, okay, just sort of... You're just carrying it in your mouth the whole time. <laughs> so it sounds like that was the first thing you tried? Uh, the, the pee? Yes. Yeah, I mean... I, or after the par. Yeah, after the par, I tried the pee, because I thought, well, if par doesn't work, gosh. <laughs> if I can't just magically get a golf course on here, I suppose I could try something reasonable. So, yourself, did you have any particularly memorable puzzles in mind? So, for me, I was thinking about the uh, getting the lock off of the locker in the hostel. So, you look at the lock, and if you have the monocle on, it will have, uh, like, green, it'll say that it has a greenish shoe and the outline of a clock. And so that's your hint that it was formerly uh, a uh, <clears throat> a clock. And had been turned into a lock. And the thing is, an interesting thing about that puzzle is that you can get a lot of backstory about it if you're having trouble figuring it out. Like, I don't remember how, but, like, you can trigger a memory about it. I don't know if that... Was that automatic? Did everyone see that? Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Then you can go talk to the um, the clerk at the hostel about... Uh, what they do if they can't get locks off of lockers, and she gives you a bunch of stuff about the quote-unquote all-purpose, who's the guy that comes from the orthography bureau to turn locks into blocks. So that was like, it was all narrative stuff. It actually wasn't hints in any way, shape, or form. Really, the puzzle was... It's simple. The, the first thing you probably think of when you see the, the clock is the, uh, like, I need removal gel. If you've already been introduced to that concept from the um, word balancer puzzle that Moriafin was talking about. But they give you a lot of other information that makes it seem like there may be another solution. Anyway, the solution was 
go to the word balancer puzzle, win the tube of removal gel, and use the e-remover to turn it into a tub of removal gel. Uh, or, uh, I'm saying removal gel, it's reversal gel, sorry. Is it restorative? Res- is that it? Restorable <laughs> gel? I think it's restorative. Restorative okay. or something. Our okay. gel. <laughs> we'll just call it gel. Uh, <laughs> use the gel, and then you use the gel on the lock, that turns it into a clock, and you can get it into the locker. Or the clocker. <laughs> <clears throat> so, did the logic for that solution make sense? Yeah, the logic of it the logic of using the gel on the lock made sense. I thought that the logic of turning the tube into a tub was a little bit hairy because this was another one where I had ruled out the intended solution because when you get the tube of removal gel, if you examine it, they tell you it's basically empty. Or still calling it removal gel. Uh, they... When you get the tube of gel, you examine it, they tell you it's basically empty, and then it's listed in your inventory as a tube, not even a tube of gel. Uh, so, that tells me, like, okay, I don't have any gel. Uh, so, when I was getting much backstory about the all-purpose and the memory and stuff like that, my thinking was, maybe I need to get gel elsewhere, or... For a second, I thought maybe there was some trick to the whole clock thing that they were going to do something clever with that, but I gave up on that pretty quickly. So turning the tube into a tub was one of those cases where I felt like, again, I was just using my uh, tools on everything I had in my inventory until it turned into the right solution for the puzzle. Although that was the that was the thing that made sense to use it on, it still wasn't something that I really jumped to that conclusion. It was more like you needed gel and you had something that was called tube of restoration gel. So, you know, it might not make sense that turning it into a tub makes more of it, but you know that somehow this is involved with the solution. It was like, right. It was like, I have two things that are sort of related to the solution. Like I have a solution with the letter K on it and I have two things in my inventory with the letter K on them. So I put those two together versus it being an actual logic puzzle. Which I guess uh, speaks to my experience of adventure games, where it's more just being able to pick out two things that are related more than two things that make sense. Yeah, I think it's probably difficult to construct a puzzle where it's not so specific that someone has to follow the developer's exact logic without some leeway. Uh, and that's uh, one popular way, I guess, of giving leeway, is just to, to stick with two related concepts. And that's one of the early multi-part puzzles where uh, it relies on having cleared Wario fan's puzzle first, and then you have to clear Fox's puzzle, and finally you get to the locker puzzle. Yeah, so it's neat how all the puzzles in that area network together. Yeah, although I felt like and this is expected, I guess, for a tutorial section. You didn't get to experience that well because you are sort of railroaded through that part of the game. Like, I had already done the word balancer and um, the backpacking... Well, I guess the backpacking girl, they you, it's directly linked. But, like, the word balancer, 
I just did immediately. I didn't have to go looking for it. So, in that sense, it would be like an introduction to how puzzles link together? Yeah, uh, I think it's a good introduction to it. I wanted to bring up the code to codex puzzle. So, to get out of the, like, strictly barriered intro area where they're teaching you all the different commands and stuff, and you turn a morning dress into a morning dress, to get out of there, you have to unlock a barrier onto the, that lets you into the main park area. And it says, the, the door tells you it needs a code. And then you look behind you, there's a museum there with a codex in it. And so this, I mean, the solution is just you take the X off the codex and it turns into a code. But I think it's a, it does a good job of introducing you to that sense of leeway in that, like, if you think about it, there is no reason that the museum would have the code for the door in it in a codex, but just having any old code works for the door. So I think it gets used to just the sense of wordplay that the game has that doesn't strictly follow things that make sense. Did anyone else have any thoughts? Well, this is a little embarrassing, but in the hotel, the hostel, which you can't turn into a hotel. <laughs> yep, tried it. <laughs> yeah. The, the girl in there, she's wearing a t-shirt, which I tried to use an R remover on, and the game got <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> it was, it was, <laughs> it was like, that's disgusting. How dare you? <laughs> Did it really say that? Yeah. Well, not, not that, like that, but it does say, you know what, that's a little disgusting, and you know, nobody's calling as possible to do that, so just, <laughs> it was crazy. I, I tried using a pee remover on the pink T-shirt. Yeah, what happened? I don't think anything did. Yeah, <laughs> it was like it's too closely tied to its identifiers or something like that. Yeah, identifiers. That's apparently, really it's fallback. Apparently, you can use a K remover on it. A pink oh. T-shirt. Yeah, What's... I haven't tried it, but it's mentioned in a walkthrough. Oh. Huh. I, I, that was the first thing that occurred to me, but I was like, what the hell would that possibly do? So I didn't bother. Is it going to kill her or something? <laughs> <laughs> Acupuncture. You'll die in front of me. <laughs> you know, that reminds me, one thing that doesn't make sense about the tub-to-tube puzzle is if the full name of that object is Tube of Restoration Gel then using an E remover would turn it into a tub of restoration gold. I think that's probably why they cheated and called it tube in your inventory. Yeah. That's like a little metagame hint for you there. Why is it just called tube? (laughs) Yeah, I guess that should, like, come across as fishy. Ah, yeah, but come on, that's really meta. You're disengaging yourself from the world of the game to get that hint. I mean, it is kind of, it is a bit of a stretch to try to logically figure out how a society based on adding and removing letters would wholly function anyway. <laughs> well, I, I imagine they would have had an easy time uh, moving from the 19th to the 20th century, upgrading all their carts to cars. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good pun, they could have put that one in the game. <laughs> So it seems like puzzle solutions don't necessarily appeal to practicality and logic. Rather, they need to make sense in the context of the game world, which can defy a sensical solution. To cope for that, 
Emily Short has introduced a sense of leeway in counterfeit monkeys' puzzles. That is to say, even if a solution does not make sense, the player can at least recognize the relation between a puzzle and its solution. If you have a lead, no matter how weird or far out, you need to pursue it in any way you can think of. Up next, we discuss Sugoi Haberike, a Japan-only four-player fighter with a top-down perspective. It came off surprisingly shallow for a fighter, and in this next segment, we discuss what we did to make sure we weren't missing something. So, for this segment, I thought we would go back over uh, Sugoi Haberike. It's a game we played for a little bit, and uh, I think it's safe to say none of us really got into it. So I was wondering, Shouty, do you think you understood Sugoi Haberike? To what extent? Do you know how to play successfully and understand, like, all of the game's aspects? Probably not all of them, but I could probably play the game successfully. I mean, I went through the story mode twice. Okay. Um, so the story mode, you would say, is your, uh, if you can clear a game story mode, that's your, uh, how you judge success? Yeah. And I assume this was, like, without continues? Yes. Okay. Uh, Fox, did you understand Sugoi Haberke? I got it on a basic level, but I don't know any pro strats for it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, maybe there's stuff I'm missing. Zanrio, did you understand Sugoi Haberke? Kind of, I think. I guess, uh, how do you mean kind of? What part did you get and what part didn't you uh, get? The fighting part. You have to win three times to get the next level, and you press the buttons to attack. Yeah. So what part would you say fell outside of your knowledge? Well, I guess um, the specific controls for everything. I mostly just bottom-lashed my way through most of the game. So, the game kind of let you through without thinking too much about what you were doing? Yeah, yeah. And if you, like, if you needed to employ a certain strategy, do you think you could do that, or do you think you'd be kind of lost? Well, yeah, because after a while I started to learn what buttons did which attack, so... Okay. And Wario fan, do you think you understood Sugoi Hibarke? Uh, not any more than anybody else. Yeah, we all seem kind of lost on, on the same page. Although, uh, I mean, I, I was familiar with the characters, at least. That's true. That does help a lot. I also apologize if I'm mispronouncing Sugoi Hibarike. Just call it Amazing rare. Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that redundant? Well. <laughs> it's an okay Euphoria. <laughs> Adequate euphoria. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be like a... I looked up Sequoia, and I thought it was supposed to be like Super. Or Awesome. Since it's on the Super Famicom. Oh, I think that's what uh, Shin usually is. is oh. It? So, Fox, I was wondering, how many rounds did you give Sugoi Haberike? I gave it the ones through the story, and then I played some in what I assume was, like, tournament or exhibition mode. Where you just get to set up one-off matches. Yeah. Was that sufficient, you say, to determine whether or not you understand a game in general? I don't know. Normally, I'd like... Right now, I just feel like I have a really basic understanding of, of how to play in, in terms of what, what, what the buttons do, but I'd like to know 
like one a little a little further beyond that, because otherwise I just feel like I'm not getting anything out of it. Like if I knew a, a, more than one combo or something, I'd feel like I I got more out of it than what I did. Do you think if you played longer, you would understand more? I probably don't know. Okay, so this is like a one time through the story mode and uh, a couple exhibition matches, and you pretty much exhausted all of the learning you can do on your own. I think so. I'd like a manual to help me out. <laughs> Emmanuel's busy. Zenrio, how many? Uh, how long did you give Sugoi Hiberike? Like, how many rounds did you play? I was playing them all just before we started this, this podcast, and I think I got to level um, or stage five or six. Okay. So is this in the story mode or in the exhibition mode? I guess it's the story mode. Yeah, if you're just if getting the, like a... If the first option you get, then... Yeah. If the story mode, then that's the one I, I'm playing. So is that uh, normal for games you don't understand that you give them like several rounds through the story mode? Yeah, well, it depends on the game. Um, I'm not sure I've played that many games that I haven't understood. Okay, so it's I'm, kind of... I don't have much experience with death kind of thing, so... I'm you're, okay. you're feeling it out for the first time. Yeah. Okay. Um, do, if you played more, do you think you would understand more? Yeah, probably. Okay. Uh, Wario fan, how many rounds did you play Sugoi Hibarike? Oh, I <clears throat> I gave it a once through the story mode. Okay. Yeah, and... I guess quite a bit of rounds. And is once through the story mode common for when you're trying to understand a game if you don't understand it after the story mode? Well, essentially, I mean, with with this game, it was uh, pretty easy to get through the story mode. I mean, it was beatable within the day. But um, I mean, some some games you don't understand. You know, probably have a lot more involved uh, campaign mode. So I guess I guess for other types of games like that, I give them maybe a couple hours or so of trying to figure it out. So if it was like an RTS. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And is that just like a, you have a personal notion of like after a couple hours you know you're not going to learn anything more? Yeah, yeah. Or I, I get the sense that I'm not going to get it. Yeah, okay. I um, mean, with with this game, you know, it's just, you know, easy enough to just sort of, you know, work your way through the story mode there. I mean, you can tell that there are buttons for, you know, punch and kick and whatnot. Yeah, I guess it is worth noting that there's a distinction between games you don't understand. Like, it seems like either you blaze through it really easily, or you can't get anywhere in it. Right. So, if you played more, do you think you would understand more of Sugoi Hibarike? I I think if I was a little better at uh, trying out combos, maybe I would. So for the most would... part... I kind of just hit punch and kick my way through. So maybe if you had more fighting game knowledge? Yeah, I guess so. I guess if I had a better sense of, uh, you know, how how this game worked on a better level, maybe I would. But, you know, generally I'm kind of the guy who who cheats at fighting games, too. I mean, (laughs) so Calibur 2, I just sort of ringed out with Link every time, so. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, do you sit back and Hadouken everybody? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of the cheap player for fighting games. And Shouty, uh, how many rounds did you give it? Mm, like I said, I played through story mode <coughs> twice, uh, but then I kind of went through the other options and ended up playing some other rounds. 
Uh, so what all were the other options other than exhibition mode? Or, yeah, story and exhibition. Was there anything else to play? I don't think so. You have the the different exhibition options for a uh, different number of players, but I think the last option for exhibition mode is uh, it chooses random characters for everyone. It's weird. I'm not sure what it's called. When I tried to translate it, it didn't seem to come out right. Is that common for games that you don't understand that you, you know, playing twice through the story mode? Well, I mean, if I can manage it, and use the story mode as, as the default, so I don't see what other options I have. Okay. And if you played more, do you think you would understand more? Yeah, I, I think I would try to experiment with the combos, and probably look around uh, the game's interface for what makes certain combos different. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in the uh, down at the bottom with, like, blobs moving around and then a meter that fills up, and I don't get any of it. I think it's just for items. Like it tells you when items spawn? I think so. Okay. So, Sanrio, when you were trying to learn how to play Sugoi Hibereke, what in-game things did you try? Just um, pressing the different, different buttons and see what buttons made what attack. Okay, so you're able to learn, like, a kick versus punch or whatever. Yeah. I tried up on punching two buttons at a time, and combos just to check out the best work. And did you discover any fancy moves that way? Yeah, um, not sure. <laughs> uh, Wario fan, what in-game things did you try to, did you try to do to learn, uh, about the game? Well, you know, um, when I first booted up the game, I, I, I think I happened upon the options menu. I noticed the game had a button mapping, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, I, I think it said, you know, you could assign, uh, X and B and A to something. So, um, I just left it alone. Uh, so I, you know, I tried in the main game, you know, hitting X and B and A because I assume that's what the, uh, you know, the controls are. And then I think if you hit Y, you do something too. And that, that caught me off guard there. So like, whoa, fourth one. But, so the the button mapping was a little deceptive then. <laughs> I guess so. I don't even remember what Y was, but it did something, and I guess whatever it was was so important you couldn't move it to anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure if the shoulder buttons did anything. I don't think so. I tried them. I couldn't get them to do anything anyway. So yeah, that is worth noting that uh, the in-game button mapping did have uh, crucial clues for what everything did. And I think uh, some buttons are repeats of others, right? Like you have two kicks or something like that? I think yeah, so, true. yeah. Which was a little confusing. Shouty, what things did you do in the game to try to learn it? I tried out some fighting game sensibilities, like different ways to move around the control pad before using a punch for a kick. And uh, did you discover anything that way? Uh, I think I did. You can do this... Uh, Neat flying kick with um, the penguin, uh, the, the main character, Hebe. The guy whose eyes are, like, way far apart. Yeah. He does this cool kick if you um, press forward, if you press backwards and forward and do a kick. He also, sometimes I think he does this, um, like he stands on his head and then he uses the spring to propel his body upward. And it's pretty cool. So you've, uh, you've figured out how to do that one as well? Yeah. Okay. And, Fox, what things did you do in the game to try to learn how to play? Just, you know, the basic fighting game stuff. I tried hit opening everybody. 
There's no Hadouken for my character, who is the UFO kid. I, I don't know UFO characters. I discovered how to use a laser gun, like the close, like a close-range laser gun, and how to throw people. Oh yeah, it's, I feel like you throw people by pressing the punch button real up close, right? You do it by pressing uh, direction and then the punch button. Okay. Yeah. And how did you do the laser gun? It's I think it's like either down and punch or up and punch. Either one of those, will, and you'll just start doing it. Okay. It's pretty simple. It's something I did a bunch of times on accident, just when I'm running around hitting buttons. <laughs> yeah, I guess part of it is learning, like, when you do something by accident, being able to go back and figure out what you did to get there. And there were a ton of things I did where it didn't seem like I could replicate it consistently, and that was a little frustrating. Yeah. I guess it's always a little that way when you don't totally get what the right button combination is. Yeah. I don't fault the game for that, but... Yeah, if if we had a manual, it might not be so difficult. So, Wario fan, what external sources did you use to try to learn how to play? Nothing. So you didn't uh, you didn't try looking up anything? No, I mean, I tried, but nothing came up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> literally. So There's no you know translation guides or anything about this game, so it's like you know, kind of difficult to to get any reading on it. There are, I mean, there are definitely websites that talk about it. Are there? Yeah. Game facts listed in the database. It doesn't count as talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Shouty, were you able to find any external sources to consult on this game? No, I did some videos on YouTube. Yeah, that was my first, the first place I looked. Um, so what, what did you discover that way? I discovered the game. <laughs> <laughs> did it tell you anything about uh, how to play, though? Not really. I think it was just a bunch of friends uh, playing and having fun. People that were happy to just button mash through? Yeah. Okay. I think maybe if the game were a little more frantic or, I don't know, had, if it had more going on, that button mashing might work. But as it is, well, like, a pillar that goes up and down is not that exciting. I don't know. You have, well, wait, what? Just like, the stage elements are not that exciting. Really, I think they're pretty in the way. Okay. And intrusive. You think they bring a proper amount of uh, of deviation to the gameplay? Yeah, like that one stage with the ice. You can stand on the snowman and starts pushing everyone around. <laughs> okay. Fox, uh, what external sources did you did you use to learn about the game? Well, I, I tried doing what WarioFan did and just looking on the internet for guides and I couldn't find anything. So then I tried translating a lot of stuff. And it didn't help all that much, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded so, like well, you, you were able to get some basic things translated but didn't have enough know-how. Yeah, I'm pretty bumbling when it comes to that. But one thing I I did like was how... Just getting through the menu, I seem to know where things would be based on how video game menus are usually laid out. Yeah, like the the first option is the most important one, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and Zanrio, did you look up any external sources to try to learn about Sugoi Heberke? Well, I tried Googling it, but I didn't have any luck finding any tutorials or instructions or anything, so... So, uh... I googled as well, but also I was able to find a few forums where people had played it, 
and it seemed pretty consistently that people complained that this game didn't have any depth and was just about button mashing. Yeah. yeah I kind of wish that found kind of instructions form the game, so I just knew that everything did. We'll have to find the manual and then pester someone to translate it for us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's ask Tomato. He made Mother 3 translation. Yeah, so he's a he's a shoe in for Sukhoi Hibereke. Yeah, even has a website full of translation stuff. So, Shouty, what would it take to get you to try Sugoi Hibereke again? Um, not much. I'd go back and play it again. Even even Any with time. your current level of knowledge. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Okay. Fox, what would it take you to to go back and try Sugoi Hibereke again? Are you offering me a bribe? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be offended if someone asked me to go play it again. But I, I just, I'd like, like to go through a manual first. <laughs> okay, so some it's, it's more direction to... from the developers would get you back into it. Just a little more insight into how, just like some of the things I don't understand work. At least more of the power moves. It's like to understand what, it, what, what causes those, and if it's some kind of button input or if it's some kind of element of the of the display. Like those things on the bottom of the screen, I don't understand at all. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, button mashing through the game isn't very fun for me. So if I got a, a little better depth of knowledge to it, I think I'd like it more. <clears throat> Something that, so you would get back into the game if someone taught you how to do it other than button mashing. Yeah. Okay. Zanrio, what would it take to get you back into Sugoi Hibereke? Instructions? <laughs> <laughs> so you would hope for just a little more direction? On how to play? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was an okay game, but I didn't really understand much of what to do or stuff, so that's really nice. So if the, uh, if the instruction manual said, you have a kick button, you have a punch button, and special moves are totally random, and you can't perform them uh, intentionally, would you play the game again? Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully the instruction manual has some deeper way of playing. Yeah. Okay. Wario fan, what would what would it take to get you to play Sugoi Hibereke again? Well, I sort of feel like I've seen everything there is to see, you know, as as far as you know the language barrier goes. But um, evidently there are character specific endings. But you know, without being able to read them, I kind of feel like I have no motivation to play as anybody else. Okay. Aren't able to figure out their movesets. Uh, uh, I played as Shades. I don't need to play as anybody else. <laughs> He's what a ghost penguin boy. Come on. He also has a, a baseball cap. I know. He's, he's top of the line in character design. <laughs> he also has a hammer that he uses to shoot his eyes out when he hits the back of his head. <laughs> See, he's just a complete great person who's dead. <laughs> So if someone someone came up to you and said, you know, this game has Roman cancels, and you can do five million hit combos if you do it right, and there's all these cool special moves, would you replay Sugoi Barricade? Uh, I, I think I'd just let him demonstrate. I don't think I need to carry that out myself. Okay. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of, you know, sort of like a motivation to, uh, you know, replay the story mode in games like these, but it's a little hard when... Uh, you're not able to understand what happens to the character at the end. 
there's no story to the story mode. Essentially, no, but unless those aren't character-specific endings, and it's the same ending and it just happens to use different characters, because I can't tell what's going on at the end. So, Fox, I was wondering, is there a game uh, that you previously did not understand how to play, but then came to a, a greater understanding of it later? There aren't too many games I play in different languages. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm, I don't I, mean I know. like, uh, okay. But, the, the, I mean, I, most of the games I didn't understand, or I, I played them when I was a lot younger and had less brain power. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess in particular, I, I bought Final Fantasy Tactics really young, and I, I just couldn't get anywhere because I didn't know how job systems work, so I just kept trying to go through things as a class one, whatever I was. <laughs> So how did you learn about uh, how to play Final Fantasy Tactics successfully? I think I stopped playing it for a little bit and then picked it up later, and I just started exploring the menus because it's, it's a little text-heavy, uh, which probably turned me off when I was younger. But going through all of that, there's a, there's, a lot to ch- there's a lot to read and uh, a lot to play around with. So I, I, just, I played around with it a lot and figured out how things worked. Okay, so you learned to get the most out of what the game was providing you about how to play. Yeah. Okay. I remember just figuring out how to change jobs was a revelation, and I feel really dumb about that. Is it uh, is it like Final Fantasy V where it's just a switch? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. There, there were prerequisites, but you just switch. So, Zanrio, I know you said that there weren't many games that you had played before without understanding. Are there any other games that you've played without understanding? Well, um, not in the recent years. At least, no. Okay. Well, I guess um, there are games I've played without understanding the text. Yeah, I, I guess I just mean, like, understanding how to uh, appreciate the gameplay. But I understood how to play them, so, yeah. Okay. Fox, or, I already asked you. Um. <laughs> Ask him again. Maybe he's got a different one this time. <laughs> <laughs> um... Wario fan, can you name a game you didn't understand at first and, and later came to an understanding of? Uh, let's see. In that sense, uh, where I came to understand it, uh, Kingdom Hearts, Chain of Memories, the one with the cards. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're, nor- you know, normally those games, you know, are kind of, you know, just a little more free with, you know, your attacks and whatnot. But you're kind of dictated by the card set in uh, Chain of Memories. So that took some getting used to. At first, you weren't sure how to successfully battle using randomly generated cards? Yeah, something like that. I mean, um, I wasn't sure, you know, I didn't seem to, I mean, because I thought it was going to be like a card game like, you know, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! or something, and I wasn't sure if I'd be very good at this uh, deck-building stuff, but, you know, I came to understand, you know, how to, how to you know, chain and whatnot with this game, and uh, I, I was actually building these really good, you know, powerful attack decks, and I was like, whoa, I'm I'm pretty good at this. So what did it take to understand how to make good decks? I guess uh, persistence, really, and just, you know, learning, you know, not, not to go in so brazenly because you're going to be wasting all your attack cards that way. So when you say persistence, does that mean, like, you lost a round and then had to reconsider what you did, or...? Um... Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you you see what works and what doesn't, and then you re- rearrange your uh, your decks and uh, try it again. Yeah, losing, I feel like, is a big part of how I learn how to play games. 
And if a game like Sugoi Hibarike just lets me barrel through, then I generally don't understand how to play it. So I'm with you there. Shouty, what was a game you did not understand at all? And uh how did you come to learn how to play it? Uh, at all? Well, what was a game you didn't get? Um, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. Like, when I first got it. Really? But, yeah. Um, I just was very confused by the maze. Maze-like structure of the game. What did you learn that helped you play it successfully? I think I just learned all of the uh, nuances and, um, uh, let's say, uh, vernacular of how the game operates. You've got, like, these different indicators that may not be um, evident. So Such as the different kinds of uh, stars or the doors, or the use of the map screen. Okay. Personally, I kind of still don't get Devil May Cry, but uh, one thing that helped me was that on easy mode, Dante will set up combos and like uh, will launch enemies into the air for you. So he, the game kind of showed me how I should be playing on the harder difficulty. Where I could then, like, go to the harder difficulty and try out the moves that he was doing on easy mode. I guess that's it for Sugoi Hiberike. Did we have any lingering comments? Uh, I, I think if uh, people haven't, they should definitely try out the, uh, the original Euphoria. Yes. Is that the first game in the series? Yeah. It's the original Euphoria, the first game in the <laughs> Euphoria series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but I thought that maybe Japan got something before it. Yeah, oh, you thought it was, like, maybe started as a puzzle game, and then suddenly they, they got this adventure game based off these weird characters, right? Yeah, like a reverse. Oh. Avalanche. No. No, it started as the, uh, as the adventure game. And then it got all the spinoffs. Yeah. Where's our next platformer for Euphoria? Oh, I don't know. I think it's... Euphoria stuck being uh, cameo levels in uh, Lemmings for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Is himself not bankrupt anymore? <laughs> Can we do that? Can we have a Kickstarter to bring Sunsoft back? I, I think Sunsoft is still around. I mean, somebody's releasing Blaster Master on Virtual Console. I sure it's not just the Irish company, <laughs> that one company in Ireland. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe their biggest mistake was releasing Blaster Master on Game Boy Color and not Euphoria. Oh my god. <laughs> That'd be really cool. They, they should have had a 3D remake of Euphoria for PlayStation 1. Oh yeah. Well, no, I, I like that Blaster Master game. Blasting again? Or yeah. no, wait. Is that Blasting again? That's Blasting again. The Game Boy Color is Enemy Below. That's right. Thanks for joining me, and I uh, I think we all learned about how we didn't learn. <laughs> Mario fan, did you have any final words? I think I'm not so good at text adventures. I I would venture that none of us are. This is kind of a first for everyone involved. I think we all appreciate that this game has very big kid gloves on. Uh, yourself, any final words? Uh, nothing in particular. Alright, thanks for joining us. Uh, Fox, any final words? I'm just glad I kicked everyone into playing a text adventure. <laughs> oh, why, why couldn't you pick the better one? A classic. Those are want, arguably worse. 
No, I like those though. No, I um, uh, I actually not never had the determination to beat any of like the classic Infocom games, but I always wanted to have someone like this force me to go through like Hitchhiker's Guide or Zork or something like that. Like I couldn't imagine going through like an Infocom one without a walkthrough, especially with especially one like Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, uh I almost beat Wishbringer. If that counts for anything. You get to turn a platypus into a king. <laughs> those games, I think for me, the, the thing I prefer about those, aside from some mild gameplay differences, is those are a lot funnier to me. But Golem disagreed. Well, not disagreed, but Golem was telling me he thought Counterfeit Monkey was very funny. And I said I didn't know that it was supposed to be funny. Um, so... <laughs> Fox, any final words? No, I'm just glad everyone's... Oh, wait, I already asked. (laughs) I was expecting Gabba Gabba Gabba. (laughs) I can't do that every time. (laughs) Um, All right, well, uh, thanks for playing along, and we'll have to come back and ask ask more questions once we play more Counterfeit Monkey. All music in this podcast was taken from Counterfeit Monkey. Thanks to Mike Koenig for the small crowd sound, soundbite used in the intro of this podcast. Uh, you can find it on soundbible.com. I'll leave you with this final thought. In Counterfeit Monkey, part of playing well means recognizing when an item is related to a puzzle you face. It might not be directly related, but it's part of getting there. So this is the concept of leeway we discussed earlier. You might say this is reflected by the letter remover itself. It takes a word that's not quite what you need and slightly modifies it so that you do have what you need. And that way, you need to recognize words that are not exactly what you need, but instead are close to words that you need. If you have any comments or questions, please send an email to vgcommune at gmail.com.